as we uh, sing uh, that wonderful hymn about the our prayer uh, for, for Christian homes. We're reminded of the wonderful fact that the Bible also speaks about the uh, about the church uh, as the uh, family of God, where we have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers without number. And so even as we sing about the Christian family uh, and its home, we're also praying for the church, of which we are all uh, members. And so I invite you to turn with me in the in the Bible to Mark chapter four. Uh, we'll be reading just four uh, verses this morning, five verses, uh, Mark four, verses 30 through uh, 34. We found in the Gospel of Mark here that uh, began very quickly entering into the ministry of Jesus after being introduced to John the Baptist in the first chapter. Uh, We saw many uh, wonderful works of Jesus in the first number of chapters. And here in chapter four, we've been introduced to Jesus uh, teaching and he's been teaching us what he was preaching. He preached the kingdom of God was at hand. And Mark four has been teaching us about that kingdom of God. Namely, we need to have. Uh, ears to hear. We need to pay attention to what we hear when Jesus is speaking uh, about the kingdom as he speaks about them uh, in parables, using things that are very familiar to us uh, to teach us things, though, that have to do with ultimate and eternal reality. And we need we need spirit given ears to hear and understand that all that Jesus is saying actually has to do with our heart, has to do with eternity, has to do with sin and Satan and, and heaven and hell, has to do with uh, the ultimate matters of life. And death. And so here in Mark 4, verse 30, we come to the, the third parable, uh, really, of this uh, chapter as Jesus continues to teach us about the kingdom of God, that is, the reign and the rule of King Jesus, who has come in the flesh here in the gospel. So, Mark 4, verse 30, this is the ever living and abiding Word of God. And He, that's Jesus, said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for help. Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning by the work of your spirit that we might know uh, the truth, that the truth would set us free. So help us, Lord, that... These words we've just read would not remain words upon the page in front of us in our Bible, but that it would be a word written upon our heart. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we go through this passage. And uh, it's not good enough that I say something from the pulpit. You need to see it uh, from, uh, from the Word of God. Uh, all parents, I suspect, love to see uh, their children grow. And all children love to see uh, themselves grow. Uh, We've all been children. And what child doesn't want to reach the stage when they are taller or faster uh, or stronger uh, than their parents? Uh, Often folks might put up measuring rods in their home or in their kitchen to measure the 
height of their children as they are growing and uh, put in new notches as the years go by. Dad gives son opportunities to to wrestle until son gets a little uh, too big. Uh, But we all expect it, that growth. We desire it, we long for it, and are thankful for it. Mark 4 gives us three parables of the kingdom of God, all to which Jesus told us we're to give careful attention how we hear. Four different ways to hear. We heard from Jesus in that first parable. Hits your ear and gone as soon as you go out the door. Uh, you might initially respond in worship. That was, that was, a, that was a great word. Uh, but it's gone the week to come. You've lost any sense of joy or wonder. Or you might receive that word. You might be a member of a church for a long time and, um, and, and, and you receive that word. But as you're living your life, you've got so many other cares and concerns uh, that actually Jesus is king and Lord of your life gets kind of kind of squished out and gets kind of choked out of your life uh, so that it's dead on the floor. And then there's there's good soil, uh, the kind of hearing where what you hear goes down deep because God, by his spirit, has, has tilled up that soil and, and, and the seed finds a, a good resting place and it bears, it bears great fruit. And so we heard about that, that we need to be careful how we, we hear. We also heard the second parable that the seed grows in a way that the farmer knows not how. The farmer sows the seed and goes about his business. And then that, 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 that seed itself, the word itself, it, it has power in itself. By, the Bible says that, uh, that the Lord, by his spirit, takes that word and causes that word to go or grow. And then there's a, there's a blade and there's, a, there's a, a, um, a leaf and then there's, a, and then there's the, the seed, the grain within the, the, uh, the covering. And, and there's great blossoming. Of that word of the kingdom, that is of the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And now this third parable Jesus gives to us is also about uh, sowing seed. Uh, it's about sowing seed. And also at the very end of this uh, section, Jesus will also tell us a little bit more regarding how we are to understand why he speaks uh, in parables. So think about this with me for a minute. So, yes, we got that now. We need to sow the seed of the word of God. It grows in the hearts of men, women, and children in God's way, in God's time, and by God's power. That is, the message of Jesus Christ, uh, Him crucified, risen, uh, ascended, reigning as King and Lord, reigning by His Word and Spirit in the lives of His people, people who've been forgiven because of the cross, people who've been transformed because of the resurrection. So we understand that. But if you are listening, perhaps, to these parables for the first time, and especially this one. You might have said to yourself, but what if it doesn't, well, what if it doesn't work? All this sowing of seed of the kingdom and the message of Jesus Christ. What if the juggernaut of the world of sin and anti-Christian culture, the evil schemes of the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, at work in this world, and the image of God denying male and female distorting rebellious hearts of men that we read about earlier in the service, what if that never will yield to the seed? Never believe in Jesus. I mean, how much good soil is really out there in America? Really? Now, did you notice that Jesus actually never puts a percentage on the soils? He doesn't say, well, there's 25% of these, 25% of these. No, he doesn't say that. He he describes four kinds of hearing, but he doesn't actually tell us how many of which. But you might ask yourself, 
uh, or say to yourself, you know, I see lots of hard and trampled paths with seed being swept away. I see a lot of flimsy, superficial Christianity in our country with folks walking down an aisle five, ten or twenty times for the health and wealth of the gospel, but constantly dropping away from the Lord in difficult times. I see that. I see folks uh, professing faith and going to church sometimes, but in general, their Christian life is all about pursuing their own kingdoms, choked out by sports on Sundays, everything else but prayer and Bible study and Christian fellowship and service during the week. And their desires are for other things beside Christ and his kingdom. I see all that. What if there's no good soil that produces a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold? What if there's no good soil for the seed to fall into? How, just, just how will it all end? Is there any hope, really, for the ministry of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus as Lord and Savior at Faith OPC? Or anywhere else? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. What's your answer, though? After all, think about this. You're hearing this parable for the first time, maybe, here in the Gospel. Jesus is probably still in the boat. The religious leaders thought he was of the devil. And his own family thought he was insane and needed to be locked up in the house. And even his disciples who followed him didn't really get it. And you would be... uh, Legitimized, I guess, to ask yourself, what's to come of this? Well, Jesus answers this. Though its beginnings are tiny and improbable, a small seed, baby born in a stable during the reign of the great Roman Empire, twelve rather eclectic followers of a carpenter's son, a Messiah king who's crucified on a shameful cross, Band of followers hiding in a room after his death for fear. A suffering church in the first centuries of the church and catacombs despised and persecuted, preaching from a book. Baptizing, teaching, communing together, praying. Its beginnings are small, says Jesus, and inconsequential in comparison to its surroundings. But its destiny, its end, uh, is large, larger than any other plant in the garden. In fact, the contrast between its beginning and its end is awe-inspiring. It will cover the earth, and the nations will come and find life and rest in its shade. That is, the life in the kingdom of God, where Jesus Christ reigns, where Jesus Christ rules and is worshipped and adored. Just two things this morning. First of all, we have in this passage the, the anticipated growth of the kingdom. It says Jesus in verse 30, and he said, With what can we compare or liken the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It might sound familiar to you back in the Old Testament in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 18, uh, Isaiah writes, To whom will you liken God? And then, of course, that passage goes on to say, well, God is incomparable uh, in his greatness and his power and his majesty. Same kind of phrasing right here. To what will says Jesus, will I liken or compare the kingdom of God? Um, the word liken there is the word homoio. And uh, in church history, and this is a, uh, uh, a word or a similar word um, uh, that caused... Uh, 
or that was the occasion for great heresy in the church. And it hung on one letter because back in the early centuries, people were trying to decide, is Jesus Christ uh, homoyo the Father? That is, is he like the Father? Or is he uh, homoousios? Is he the same as the Father? Hear the difference? Homo, same. Homoi, like. Well, that's, what the, that's the word used here. Homoi. What is the kingdom of God like? Jesus is not saying the kingdom of God is a mustard seed. <laughs> no. But it, there's, there's a comparison going on here. And it's not simply Jesus likening uh, the kingdom to a mustard seed. He's likening the kingdom to a mustard seed which is planted small and grows large. The point here is not that the kingdom is itself compared to a mustard seed. Uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about mustard seeds. They're one to two millimeters in diameter. Uh, they can be yellowish, white, to black. Three different plants. There's black, brown, there's white. Um, someone says grinding and mixing the seeds with water, vinegar, or other liquids creates the yellow condiment known as prepared mustard. I love mustard. Uh, mustard tastes good. I love it. Some of you don't like it. Um, never set it out on the table, um, you know, unless someone specifically asks for it. Uh, now, all that may or may not be interesting to you, but it tells us nothing about the kingdom of God. Because it's not that uh, it's not the uh, the mustard seed itself that's compared to the kingdom, but what happens to the seed. This is what Jesus says. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Five times in the Gospels, we find uh, this mustard seed referred to. Three times it has to do in this comparison with the kingdom. Two times it has to do with faith, where Jesus will uh, speak about faith as, uh, as small as a mustard seed. So, for instance, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, this is what we read. Matthew 17, verses 19 and 20, the disciples uh, were called upon to, to heal a young boy who had a demon, and they didn't do it. And they come back to Jesus. They came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith, like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. And there too, Jesus is not saying your faith is a mustard seed. It's it's like a mustard seed, and it's, it, it's, and it's that it, it just has to be true faith. But what God does with that faith is great, uh, incomparably matchless things. Even through the smallest of true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so wherever we find it, it's all about this matter of comparison. Now, the mustard seed was proverbially small in Jewish thinking as the smallest of all seeds that you would plant in the garden. The mustard plant on the shore of the Sea of Galilee could hit 10 or 15 feet, we're told. And birds were attracted to its shade um, and, to its, and to its seeds. Now, what's the point? Well, Jesus says, just like the smallest of seeds begins tiny, but ends large, so is the kingdom of God. That is, so is the, the, uh, the manifestation of the reign and rule of Jesus as King and Savior and Lord that you've been reading about here in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Mark, 
Jesus in all his authority, Jesus in all his power, Jesus in all his compassion, transforming lives. Um, so is the kingdom of God. It starts small, says Jesus, but it will be uh, incomparably large. So much so uh, that the birds of the air will make their nests, that's the word tent, uh, will tent in its shade. So is the kingdom. This imagery is from the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles open, as uh, the great few to do, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 31. You're saying, well, what is, where does this image come from? Well, if you turn with me to Ezekiel 31, uh, you'll find out that this language has been used of a, a small plant, great tree, uh, birds uh, nesting in branches. This imagery is used in the scripture to describe uh, the nations. And so, for instance, uh, in Ezekiel 31, verse 3, this is what we read. Behold, Assyria, this is the pagan nation of Assyria, was a cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and forest shade. And of towering height, its top among the clouds. The waters nourished it, the deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field. Here's a nation now, a kingdom being described like this tree. Verse 5, so it towered high above all the trees of the field. Its boughs grew large and its branches long from abundant water and its shoots. All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow lived all great nations. It was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots went down to abundant waters. That's describing the pagan nation of Assyria. The nations come to find refuge in its... Of course, that would end. Uh, Assyria's greatness would end. Or think about uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verses 10, we read these words. The visions of my head, said Nebuchadnezzar, as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree uh, in the midst of the earth. And its height was great, and the tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. And its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it was in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Over to verse 20. The tree you saw, Daniel tells, Nebuchadnezzar, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It's you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. That's where that language that Jesus uses here comes from. And where uh, these folks who first heard him would go to in their thinking, those who uh, had the Old Testament, had that word, were Jews. And, and they, would, they would remember that language of a kingdom where all the nations would come. This, says Jesus, is what the kingdom of God is like. Small beginnings, but grows, and nations find shade under uh, its branches. This shouldn't surprise us. You remember Daniel's 
vision of the kingdom in Daniel chapter 2. We were just there, but Daniel envisions all these kingdoms that come forth. But then a, a rock is cut out of the uh, side of the mountain, but not with human hands. And that, and that rock or that stone crushes all those kingdoms. But that stone itself grows to be a huge mountain, and that mountain fills the earth. And we remember Jesus was the, the stone of, of stumbling. That's Jesus. This is God's purpose, friends. That the rule, the reign of Jesus as the Savior, as Lord, as King, would fill the earth. That is, that he would be acknowledged as King. That churches would be planted throughout the earth. Christians living for Jesus. In every area of their life, manifesting the fact that I am not king, I don't create myself, I don't live for myself, I live for King Jesus. That he would be acknowledged. This is why the word of the kingdom is sown. It will grow, we already learned, and the plan of God will not fail. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ uh, is, is Lord. The Old Testament is full of these promises. And this promise to the seed of Abraham, in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. And this promise in Genesis 49, to the lion of the tribe of Judah, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This in Psalm 22, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. O you who hear prayer, unto you shall all men come. Psalm 65. Psalm 66. All the earth shall worship you and shall sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Psalm 86. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you've made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. This is what the Bible speaks of. What the Apostle Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 15, when he speaks about uh, uh, the, the Father giving the kingdom to the Son, and, and all, all powers and authorities need to, need to come under the authority of the Son, and, and, and then the end will come. He must reign until all his enemies have been placed under his feet, said the great Augustine. This great tree is known by its extension into the whole world and is not adequately embodied by an inwardly turned or detached or separated branch. That is, when we think about the reign and rule of Jesus, we're not talking about an inward turned branch. We're not talking about a separated branch. We're talking about a, a, a tree that, 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 that sends its branches out over the nations. Friends, this is not a promise to one denomination. This isn't a promise to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church as a denomination. This is not a promise to a local church. We know this because um, there was an OPC congregation and, and, and might still be worshipping, but an OPC congregation in West Collingswood, one of the first OPC churches. But um, it, it is dissolving. It is no longer going to be there. Has God's promise failed? No. It's not to a denomination, not to a local church, uh, but the promise is this. The reign and rule of King Jesus will spread over the earth.
to the city. Jesus compared the kingdom to the small city growing to be immensely large. So this is the promise of God. He anticipated the growth of the kingdom. But we also find out in this passage that uh, we have a gracious teacher of the kingdom. You have just heard about it, just heard from this gospel. Amazing things. And you can ask yourself, oh, wait, does this make sense to you? Do I really, do I really believe this? That what Jesus is doing here in the gospel part is not a super small. And even the church in America is Happening? Is this God's plan that uh, that His kingdom and the reign and rule of Jesus would would grow to such an extent that all the nations would find shade and rest and salvation, forgiveness and peace uh, under Christ? Is that really is that really true? Well, we might struggle with that, right? Um, but here's the thing: if if the reign and rule of Christ overall is where we're heading, so Jesus says, this is how it ends. If that's where we're heading, I guess that means that we're to pray, for instance, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a good prayer. It's from the Lord Jesus. Why pray that? Because that's how it ends. Um, If that's how it ends, then I guess that would also be our prayer and, and we'd be working towards seeing Christ as king today. But how exactly do we do that? Well, thankfully, Jesus reminds us, friends, that he is also the gracious teacher of the kingdom. You know, many Bible commentaries barely say a word about verses 33 and 34. I don't know why. I find them the most uh, precious words. And only Mark actually mentions these two precious things. One in verse 33, with many... These weren't the only ones, just these three we looked at in Mark 4. But with many such parables, he spoke the word to them uh, as they were able to hear it. (laughs) As they were able to hear it. Someone translated it this way. Adjusting his discourse, Jesus, to their capacity to understand. That is, it's been said that the gospel, or the scripture, is like a swimming pool. Uh, It's shallow enough uh, that a child may walk in it or wade in it, but it's deep enough uh, that an elephant can swim. You've heard that, right? That's so true. Why do we believe that? Because of what Jesus says. He taught them many parables. As they were able to hear it, that is, he was uh, adjusting what he said to, to their capacity to understand. Oh, friends, in this we see the, the grace, the condescension, that is, the coming down of the Savior. Almighty God does not have to adjust what he says so that you can understand. Almighty God, who gave me life, doesn't have to adjust his manner and method so that I will understand it. But he does. This is what we believe in the Westminster Confession of Faith about why we can have any kind of relationship with the living God. This is what uh, we confess in chapter 7 of God's covenant with man. Remember this? 
The distance between, this is what we confess the Bible to teach. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures, all like us, uh, do owe obedience to him as their creator. It's just, we, we, should, we owe obedience to him. That's just the way it is. Yet they could, that is, creatures, could never have any fruition of him or any sense of blessing from him as their blessedness and reward. But by, the only way this can happen, that we can experience some kind of blessing, is but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he'd been pleased to express by way of covenant. I, says God, will make a covenant with you. What is that? That's some kind of grace. That is, it is a, God doesn't have to do that, we believe. But he does. He comes down. This is what Jesus is saying. Adjusting his, his life as they are able to hear it. This is what we believe. This is so important. We have a gracious teacher. John Calvin said this, For who even of slight intelligence... Um, does not understand that as nurses commonly do with infants, God is wont in a measure to lisp in speaking to us. That is when you're talking to the baby. Uh, uh, three babies, Lord willing, come. Faith will be seed soon. One, Lord willing, this week. What does a mom do? Because you want you're communicating with the baby. Said John Calvin, just like that happens. Thus, such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as accommodate the knowledge of him to our slight capacity. Simply this, as a mother speaks to her baby, the only way we could know God at all is if God spoke like a father or mother to, to babies. But he does. Jesus does it here. Precious truth. He's a gracious teacher of the kingdom. So whether you're a newborn believer or 80 years in the faith, he continues to teach us graciously as we are able to hear it. Aren't you so glad that as a baby your mother didn't give you a a great big uh, slab of steak and said, go to it? And aren't you thankful, as an adult, your constant diet is not Gerber's mashed peas? I am. Jesus is a gracious teacher. And lastly, uh, we also find out, not only is he a gracious teacher, but he's a gracious teacher. Did you hear the end there? Verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable. That probably didn't mean that everything Jesus said was parabolic because we got all the rest of the Gospels. No, he didn't speak on a non-parabolic. But what it probably means is that he didn't have, have you know, any public speaking, that he didn't use a parable, didn't use a story from time to time. This was his common way. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately. But privately. To his own disciples. He explained everything. He explained everything to his own. That's what that word means. To his own disciples. It's the word idios, actually. As in the word, you hear the word idiosyncratic. You ever talk about something? Boy, that person's got, well, maybe we don't use that language, but 
That person's kind of idiosyncratic. What do you mean? You mean they've got something unique? They've got something peculiar about their personality that is just them. It's so idiosyncratic, you know, how he does that, or he twitches his nose, or uh, pastors have idiosyncrasies, as you find out. Uh, unique to them. Privately, oh, to his own, to his unique, peculiar people. He explained it means unloosed. Unloosed. He made plain. He made clearer. Everything. He's a gracious teacher. As we're able to hear, the friends make no mistake, he's a gracious teacher. He, expl- he explains to us more of who he is. He explains to us more of his kingdom. He explains to us what it means for Jesus Christ to be my Savior from sin and the Lord of my life. He explains to me what it looks like when Jesus is King, reigns and rules in my marriage. Or my children in my relationships at work and in the church. He explains to me everything. And that is why if I would know more of the life of the kingdom, I need to draw near to him. God will make this seed grow in Mark 4. And so we don't need to lose heart, do we? God makes the seed grow. One day the kingdom will reach to the ends of the earth. Every tribe and language and people and nation will be gathered in. And so we do not grow weary in well-doing. We need these parables. All of them help us to see what life in the kingdom of God is like. Friends, do not grow weary because whatever appearances might be, however weak you may feel, Whatever apathy you may see in you or around you, whatever the survey results of George Barna or Ligonier's state of theology, the kingdom of God is not in peril. God will accomplish his purposes and make his kingdom grow as he did 2,000 years ago. Because if you heard Jesus that first time, and if you could see down into the future as Jesus is on the boat And there's some disciples on the shore. You would have seen the gospel going forth into the Roman Empire, to the west and to the east. You would have seen the gospel recovered at the Reformation, spread throughout Europe and England and France and Scotland and the Netherlands. You'd see believers take that gospel to the shores of the New World. You'd see uh, churches being established along the Delaware and in West Jersey, now South Jersey. You'd see Presbyterian and many other faithful churches that love the gospel, love the word, gathering, places of worship established, people coming. 1936, you'd see Faith OPC established and the people gathered. People will be sent from that Faith OPC as missionaries, sent from this church. And God makes the kingdom grow in his time and his way that he makes the kingdom grow and our hope and trust is in him. And in his promises, that tiny mustard seed will grow large. The birds of the air, the people of the nations, will find rest under its shade. And the question is, have you found rest under its shade? That is, have you found that the place where you need to be is where Jesus Christ reigns?
and rules as your Savior from sin and as the Lord of your life. Oh yes, we need to keep praying. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And know, friends, that the Lord will answer that prayer in his time, in his way, and his dominion will be from sea to sea, from shore to shore. And the wonderful thing is this, that kingdom is for you and for me. It's open to you. I mean, if it's meant for the, the birds of the nation, meant for all the nations, peoples of every tribe and tongue, that also means it's meant for you to find rest under the shade of his rule. How do you enter? You enter like everyone else enters the kingdom, through faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. Savior, King. And uh, as you put your faith in Him, you're transferred, the Bible says, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is where history ends. But may we, by God's grace, enjoy life in the kingdom long before uh, the final uh, act. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that in these parables we've been reading about sowing the seed, the word of the kingdom, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has come here in the gospel of Mark. We've seen him in his love and his compassion and his mercy, touching the untouchable, healing those that others wanted nothing to do with, conquering Satan and his demons. Speaking his word with authority, transforming lives. And so, Lord, we thank you today that all those truths are meant for us. That that message has come to us. That that reign and rule of Jesus has come to us. And so we pray this morning that by faith we would find ourselves putting our trust and hope and faith in this Jesus. His kingdom will reign forever and ever. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.